Okay, we are continuing our study of the Gospel of Matthew here on the Listener's Commentary. And in this recording, we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 12. This is the final main chunk of the body of the Sermon on the Mount before we get to the conclusion and Jesus' final appeals in the sermon. And in the way I've organized the material of the Sermon on the Mount... I said that our thesis statement for the sermon is this idea of surpassing righteousness. Unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven, Jesus said. And I said that's really like the thesis of the Sermon on the Mount. Then part one of the body of the sermon was this idea of examples of surpassing righteousness through the second half of chapter five. And then part two of the body I called barriers to surpassing righteousness, which began in chapter six, one and goes all the way up through this section we're going to look at in this recording. And so Jesus gives three barriers to surpassing righteousness. The first barrier is the idea of keeping up religious appearances, doing your righteousness to look good before the eyes of people. The second barrier was the one we looked at in our last recording, and it was seeking treasure on earth rather than seeking first the kingdom of God. Here, in this recording, we'll get barrier number three. And that barrier has to do with our posture towards and the way we relate to other people. I boil this third barrier down to treating people as if we're superior to them. And this section comes to us by way of two parts plus a summary statement. The first part is 7, 1 through 6 that has to do with judging. The second part is 7, 7 through 11 that has to do with asking. And then we get a summary statement about how we should treat others in 7, 12. Jesus begins this section in chapter 7, verse 1 by saying, do not judge so that you will not be judged. But before we look at the details of this first part, 7, 1 through 6, about judging, we need to look at the structure of it because that helps us understand how it functions and how it works. So 7, 1 through 6 works like this. Verses 1 and 2 is the topic, the topic of judging. Verses 3 through 5 is an illustration, specifically the illustration about a plank in the eye. And then 7, 6 is a word picture about pigs and dogs. And there's some question about how that verse, verse 6, fits in relationship to everything else here in the section. Some actually don't even try to make it fit. They just treat it as if it doesn't fit. It's just sort of this random standalone saying that somehow just got stuck in here at this point. And often it's then used to talk about sharing the gospel and how we share the gospel with other people. We'll talk about that more when we get to verse 6. Some see it as connected more with what follows about asking rather than with verses 1 through 5 about judging. And in that case, it's the idea of don't push your pearls on people. Instead, you should ask them. Some like me, see it as connected with 1 through 5, and I see it specifically as actually restating verses 1 and 2 and doing so with a graphic word picture so that the whole unit, 7, 1 through 6, actually forms what's called a chiasm or a kind of a literary sandwich where verses 1 and 2 and verse 6 are the bread of the sandwich and verses 3 through 5, the illustration about the plank eye, that's the meat in the middle of the sandwich. That's how I see this whole section functioning. We'll explain that a little bit more when we get to verse 6 and I'll talk about how I see it connected to 1 through 5. So Jesus says, do not judge so that you will not be judged. Notice how the flow works is that judging leads to judging. 
Don't judge, or guess what? You're going to be judged. And the idea of the word judge here is evaluated, distinguish, like it's decide between, make a judgment about. Now, is Jesus saying all forms of this kind of evaluating and discerning and distinguishing? Is he saying all forms of that is bad? Is he saying essentially, like, just throw your moral compass away, make no decisions about what's good, right, or best, make no evaluations of who's actually doing, you know, things that are good and right? Are we supposed to just do that? Get rid of all forms of evaluating and decision-making and discernment? Well, of course not. When we let the illustration that Jesus uses in verses 3 through 5 inform our understanding of what Jesus is saying here, well, that helps us understand what he means by judging. And what we see is that it had to do with having a superiority complex where, where we feel free that, to, to pick at other people and point out all the little things that are wrong with them. And we're better than them. And we know we're right. And we know what's wrong with everyone else. And we're free to tell them no matter how small their issue is that here's what's wrong with you. And at the same time, we're oblivious to the big old beam sticking out of our eye. That's the illustration Jesus is going to use. And so we see that judging here uh, has a posture of superiority about it that makes us arrogant towards others and ignorant towards ourselves. Such a posture of superiority actually keeps us in the flow of the whole sermon, keeps us from acquiring the righteousness that God intends for us. We'll never change if we're always looking down at others and pointing out their faults and are completely blind to the big old beam in our eye. Another thing that makes it clear that Jesus is not condemning or getting rid of all forms of assessment and discernment is what follows in almost the very next paragraph after this one, where Jesus talks about that there are going to be false teachers, false prophets among you, and you'll know them, you'll recognize them by their fruit. That's discernment. That's assessment. In fact, the apostles themselves teach us to test the spirit to see which ones are genuinely from God. And so there are appropriate forms of assessment and discernment. But based on the illustration that's going to come shortly in verses 3 through 5, Jesus's point is using a completely different standard for others than we do for ourselves so that we think we're better than others and we're better than we actually are. So, Jesus says, judge not, lest you be judged, because that's what happens. When you judge people harshly and arrogantly, right, they love to point out your faults and your shortcomings as well. In fact, Jesus says in verse 2, for, giving a reason, in the, in the way you judge, with the very standard you use, with the very manner and spirit in which you do it, the way you judge, the the way you judge, you will be judged. And by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. You're going to be evaluated by people with the same standard, the same spirit, uh, the same manner that you use for them. That's just very true to life. People will hold us accountable to the things we blame and condemn others for. If we're always picking at people for gossiping or for the way they drive, guess what? They're going to gladly at times point out how we do the exact same things wrong. That's just the way life works. So by the, the way you judge others and the standard you use to measure others, it's going to be used for you as well. Then we get the illustration in verses 3 through 5. So that uh, verses 1 and 2 is the topic, and it's like the first piece of bread in our literary sandwich. Now we get the illustration, which forms the meat in the middle. And the illustration says this, Why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but don't notice the log that is in your own eye? 
this idea of a speck is like sawdust, right? It's like a small little little fleck of something in your eye, just a little bit of thing. You're harvesting grain, you maybe got a little little fleck of grain sawdust in your eye, or you're working with a piece of wood, you got a little piece of sawdust, it's a tiny little thing. And then the log, one of the ways this word was used for log is it was like the main beam in a house. So we're talking about a big old beam versus a little tiny piece of sawdust. That's the picture. And if you think about this illustration, it's actually quite funny. And that's intentional. Jesus is poking fun at our tendency to see what's wrong with everyone else, while at the same time ignoring what's wrong with us, including our superiority complex including the, the way we think we're better than others. You can see this little tiny speck in them, but somehow you can't see this beam in your own eye. How self-deceived are you? And Jesus is using this kind of humorous illustration to poke fun at that. He goes on in verse 4 and says, Or how can you say to your brother, Let me take that speck out of your eye, and look, you got a big old beam sticking out of your eye. Like, how can you even get close enough to them to get that speck out of their eye? And how can you even see clearly enough to get that little tiny speck out of there? I went, when you're blinded by this massive beam in your eye. Jesus says in verse 5, You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye. Like, remove the log from your eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Notice Jesus isn't saying there's never a time for speck removal. He's saying that our attention first should be on ourself. We should spend uh, our, our initial energy, maybe more of our energy, on self-examination, uh, self-accountability, self-reflection, than on trying to find a little tiny speck in everyone else's eye. What Jesus is saying is look in the mirror. See yourself accurately. Deal with your superiority complex, which will actually open the way for you to see how you can best help other people with the speck that's in their eye. The humility that comes from that kind of self-examination makes us actually able to genuinely and humbly help other people in a way that's good for them. And then Jesus wraps up this section in verse 6, which I think, as I said, is a second piece of bread, right? It's the second piece of bread in our literary sandwich that restates the point of verses 1 and 2, but this time with a vivid word picture. And so Jesus says, don't give what and what is holy to dogs. Don't throw your pearls to the pigs, or they will trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. I think that's essentially restating what he said about judging in verse 1 and verse 2. Like, the way you judge others, it's going to be judged to you. So if you judge others, guess what? They're going to turn and judge you. If you judge others, they're going to trample things that you're trying to give under the feet. They're going to turn and tear you to pieces. Now, as I noted above, it is a little unclear how verse 6 fits in. And one of the more common uses of the passage today is to talk about sharing the gospel with people. The point that's usually made is you try to share the gospel people, but some people just don't want it. They're resistant to it. They're unworthy of it as a result. And so you just can't share the gospel with them. Don't force your pearls on them. Don't throw your pearls to pigs. Ironically, it seems to me that even though that's a popular use of the text, it's a misuse of the text and a misuse that interestingly enough actually does what Jesus tells us not to do in verses one through five. Like, the words dogs and pigs in this context to Jewish people, those were like disgusting, unclean animals. 
To call another person a dog or to call another person a pig, that was a form of arrogant, condemning judgment on another person. They're, they're unclean. Like To call someone a pig or a dog was actually a term of contempt. And so that's a form of judging. And when you think about the, what Jesus says in verse 6 with holy things and pearls, well, those are things of great value. So think through the word picture of verse 6 in view of the teaching in verses 1 through 5, and it works like this. Here I come, and I've got the good stuff. I've got holy things. I've got valuable pearls. I've got things that you need. I've got holy things and real treasure but you, you're just a no good, unclean, dirty, rotten pig. That's judging. That's having a superiority complex. That's having a big old plank in your eye. And what happens? When you approach people that way, just experientially, I think we all know this, they get angry. They don't receive it well. They turn and trample my goods and tear me to pieces. I'm judged by them, and my goods are treated as worthless, just like Jesus said would happen in verse 1. And so it seems to me that verse 6 is actually a graphic picture restating the point of verse 1. Judge not, lest you be judged. And it seems this is just a real practical reality. It's just what happens when somebody is proud and self-righteous and has a superiority complex and tries to force whatever good thing they think you need on them. And that According to verse 12 that we'll get to in a little bit, that's just not the way disciples of Jesus are meant to relate to themselves and relate to others. First, take the log out of your own eye. Then you can actually be helpful to others. Now, Jesus continues then in the second part of this section as he's focusing on this theme of posture towards others and how we relate to other people, including God himself. And he gets in verses 7 through 11, he, he talks about asking. So he says in verse 7, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks it will be opened to. Now, some limit this illustration only to praying and asking God because of the illustration that Jesus is going to use here in a second. And I do think the illustration shows us that this includes our approach to God, but in view of the summary statement in verse 12, I just don't think we should limit it to that. I think it's still about how we relate to other people, including God himself. In fact, in view of verses 1 through 6, our asking may be directly related to changes maybe we see other people need to make, or changes we need ourselves to make, or changes in our relationship to others. Not only do we ask people for things, but we ask God for things on behalf of or in relationship to other people. And this is just the proper way we're supposed to relate to all persons, including God. How do we relate to him? We ask. This is the way to treat people well. We don't force things on people. We don't demand things of people. We ask, and that's the point. Ask, and it'll be given to you. There's a real power in asking. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be open to you. And so this is our approach to, to other people, including to God. We ask, and we knock. We don't barge in. We don't knock the door down. We don't demand. We ask, and we knock. Jesus then gives an illustration of what he has in mind in verses 9 through 11. He says, Or what person is there among you who, when his son asks for a loaf of bread, will give him a stone? He asked for bread. 
And if he's a good father, right, good mother, they'll give him some bread because they're hungry. Or if he asks for a fish, we'll give him a snake. Well, no, he's not going to give him something harmful to him when he, what he really needs is some fish to eat. So if you, despite the fact that you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, again, how much more will your father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? This is our basic posture in life before God and in relationship to other people. We ask. That's the way life works. Our kids ask, and we ask. And again, notice all through this section that Jesus has confidence in God as a father who knows how to give good gifts to his children. And so we trust him enough simply to ask. We ask God for things. We ask God for help with things. And we trust him to give that to it. And in relationship to other people, we do the same thing. Parents respond to asking. Our Heavenly Father responds to asking. Uh, friends respond to asking. It's the way the universe is designed to work between persons. We ask. And then in verse 12, we get the summary statement of this whole section. He says, In everything, therefore, treat people the same way you want them to treat you, for this is the law and the prophet. This summary reminds us of the primary focus of verses 1 through 12. It has to do with the way we relate to other people and treat others. And that's why I don't think we should limit the section about asking exclusively to our relationship with God. I think it's also about the way we relate to all people, um, whatever relationship it is. We ask. Also recall that in the intro to the Sermon on the Mount, uh, Jesus said he didn't come to abolish the law and the prophets, but to fulfill them. And so this statement here also makes a fine summary to the whole body of the Sermon on the Mount. When we obey Jesus here and we treat others the way we want to be treated, we're actually embodying the very heart of God's law in relationship to other people. We're loving our neighbor as ourself. Uh, that uh, treating people like this, the way we want to be treated, that is to love our neighbor as ourselves. And so to summarize verses 1 through 12, Jesus says, get rid of the superiority complex. Remove that beam from your eye. Stop looking down on others and finding every little thing wrong with them. Don't presume you know it all and what everyone needs and force all your good and holy things on them. Relate to people as human to human. Ask for things. Not only that, ask your heavenly father for things. Treat people the way you would like to be treated. When we do all of this, we're far more likely to acquire the kind of righteousness that surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees. And that's what Jesus expects of his disciples. All right, thanks for tuning in to this session on the Listener's Commentary on the Gospel of Matthew. The Listener's Commentary is a listener-supported, crowd-funded Bible teaching ministry that only exists because people are generous. So thanks a ton for your generous support of this ministry, as well as all the other online resources I'm working on creating. If you want to join the team of supporters, you can do so by going to listenerscommentary.com. You can either click sign up for the study hub, or you can click the give button and you can set up a one-time or a monthly recurring donation inside the Give button, or you can set up a monthly donation at the Study Hub as well. All monthly donors get access to the online courses as well, some other bonus material inside the Study Hub. Thanks a ton for your support.